Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 150. Can you believe it? of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. I'm so pleased you're here. Today we are talking to the awesome Shamim Sarif, who I found incredibly delightful and smart and witty. And I just felt a real connection with her. And she talks a little bit about marrying our characters to plot organically, which is something that I think is one of the most important things to do in our books. It is the way to keep our readers with us to make them believe what we're telling them. So I know that you're going to enjoy the interview when we get there. In a little bit of an update, I have a big update. It's a big one. (laughs) I am pleased to say that I did sell the next book, uh, the next thriller to Penguin Dutton. And it is not official yet. I have not signed the contract, so I shouldn't be saying anything about it. But um, this is a little bit like talking about your pregnancy when you're in the first trimester. Uh, so that actually works because this is my phantom pregnancy slash fetal abduction thriller. So <laughs> it is tentatively called Hush Little Baby. So yes, I'm telling you about it in the first trimester. Hopefully everything goes well. And I'm really happy. I'm very excited. I can't tell you how much I sold it for because I wasn't supposed to do that last time. I got in a little bit of trouble for that. So I can't. But if you listen to my beginning of year money update, which I always do, you'll be able to figure it out from there. Uh, making a little bit less than last time because uh, Stolen Things is not doing as you know, it's not burning up the charts, but apparently it's still selling well enough for them to want to work with me. So I am very happy about that because I am very excited to write this particular thriller. I can't wait. I have to tell you also that there's this other book that's burning inside me and it's also kind of burning inside my agent. She really likes it. So I might be about to try to write two books at once. I was just talking to my class, my 90 days to done class about it, and they were giving me advice on how to do that. And they were giving me some pretty great advice that I'm going to try. I don't know if I'll be able to do this. I have tried things like this before and have failed. So there's always another try to be had though. And the worst I can do is not do it and just write the one book that's under contract. So that'll be fine. I will keep you posted on this because wouldn't it be great if we were able to switch our brains so that we could write two books at once? A lot of people do it. I have done it in the past when I was working way more than full-time plus writing a novel, plus writing a nonfiction collection of essays. And that worked because the genres were so different so different, nonfiction to fiction. This would be two fiction projects in different genres. So we'll see how that goes. And other news. First mini podcast came out yesterday. Hope you picked it up. Basically what that little podcast is, is it's an in-betweener It'll come between episodes every once in a while, maybe once a week or every other week. And in it, I'll just be answering your questions. Basically, it's like this. If you're on the $5 level at patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, you just get to keep me on retainer 
to answer all of your questions. And I'll probably answer between one and three questions per mini podcast, and I will get to every single one of them. So if you'd like to join, you can go over to patreon.com slash Rachel and do that. It's already super, super fun. Speaking of that, people who are now have having me on retainer include Katrina Turner. Thanks, Katrina, for editing your pledge to $5. Barbara McCullough, de- dear Barbara, same thing. And same thing for Mel Climo. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please lay all your questions on me at any time. They can be in the Patreon post, or you can email them to me or tweet me. Basically, I'm here for you to answer every anything and everything that you are wondering about. So I've told you my mega news. I'm very excited. I get to write that scary, creepy book. Mm, I actually wrote the uh, first three chapters to send to my editor as part of the proposal. And she had me edit them back a little bit, dial them back because they were too intense. So I'm quite proud of that. They were too intense. That's enjoyable. And I've told you about the Patreon coaching. Oh, the one thing I want to tell you about and... This is important if you want to do it. This is a time-sensitive thing. My Barcelona trip in April uh, begins April 26th. It's a week until May 2nd. We It is open. It is already three-quarters full, and I predict it will close in the next few days. So if you are interested in it, go to rachelherron.com slash Barcelona. Usually, I take a group to Venice every year, and I think me and Venice, we need a little break. I still love that city more than any other city in the world, but I've been there doing business every year for the last few years, which is fantastic. I have worked myself into the position of being able to go to my favorite city and get paid for it. So that is incredible, but we're taking a little time out. I'll go back to her next year. I need to miss her. She will never miss me. Venice never misses anybody. She's that one. But I need a little bit of a chance to miss her. So we're going to one of my second favorite cities, which is Barcelona. I absolutely love being there. It'll be a group of 15 women. I do keep this uh, gender specific for people who identify as female. And you're more than invited. We have such a good time. It's basically five days of working together. We work together in the mornings. And we work on all all kinds of aspects of craft and writing and mindset and a tiny little bit of business. And then in the afternoons and evenings, we just play. We go do things in this city that I love. The hotel that we have is incredible. It's right in the Gothic Quarter, but far enough from Les Rambles that it's not a pain. And it's right by the cathedral, if you know where that is. So I'm very excited about it. And if you'd like to come, Please come. I'll stop talking about it now. RachelHeron.com slash Barcelona. Sign up soon if you are interested in that at all. Seats are going remarkably quickly. So with that, let's jump into the interview with Shamim. I know that you're going to enjoy it. I hope that your writing is going well. I hope that if you're nanoing, you are wrangling some really awful, terrible words that count towards word goal, that build up your document, which someday you might want to revise into something beautiful, but in nano time, it is not time to write beautiful words. It's time to write fast words. So I hope you are speeding right through and drop me a line anytime. Tell me how you're doing. Thank you so much for listening and please enjoy this interview. All right. Well, I could not be more pleased to welcome today to the show, Shamin Sarif. How are you, Shamin? 
I am very, very well. Thank you. And thank you for having me on the show. Oh, I'm thrilled to talk to you. Let me give you a little bit of a bio here. As an award-winning novelist, screenwriter, and film director, Shamin Sarif has built a career on creating powerful female protagonists, and in doing so has earned legions of fans around the world. Her latest novel, The Athena Protocol, is an all-female contemporary action thriller that will be released by HarperCollins in 2019. Uh which is now as the first in the <laughs> YA series. The book is being de- uh, currently being developed as a film franchise. Incredibly exciting. An accomplished speaker, Shamin has spoken at TED events worldwide. She and her wife and sons are British Canadian and spend time between London and Toronto. And right now you're in Toronto. We were just talking off air about what a gorgeous city that is, especially at this time of year. I bet it's just perfect. It is absolutely lovely. We've had a few really warm last uh, fall days, and now, but now that there's a bite in the air for sure. <laughs> it's I getting love, out. I love that bite. We've got a little bit of the bite over here right now, and I just this is my favorite time of year. So, um, I would love to talk to you about how you get this all done, how you get so much done. What is your writing process like? Where and when and how? All of that good stuff. Sure. Well, it, I, I'm a morning person. So, you know, I always think I, I must have been a farmer in a past life because I can easily fall asleep at nine o'clock at night. And uh, and waking up, you know, five or six is generally not a problem. Uh, winter is tough. But generally, I get up. First thing I do is uh, try to go for a walk if I'm feeling very energetic to run. Um, and just kind of, I think that for me, you know, that writers often talk about that fear of the blank page or what am I going to write next? So I think my morning is set up as a set of rituals that kind of help get past that. And, and walking or running is one of those things because you can listen to music, you can listen to a podcast or something, but it's something that you're not thinking about the writing and yet in the back of your mind, it's kind of germinating. Um, I love you know. thinking about those rituals and I really believe we can kind of self-hypnotize our way into the creative process when we when we enter it that way can you tell me more details about your other rituals i'd love to know that's you know there's not a huge amount to it so basically when i get back i just try not to check emails not always successfully uh because that's where you can easily get derailed um so my new um resolution to myself a few years ago was to really make sure that if it's a writing day for me and i'm not directing or something i go out for that run uh, have my breakfast, take a shower, and straight out to what I now have a writing cabin, which is amazing, um, and get out there and get the uh, you know 1,500 words done, basically. Writing cabin. I have not heard those two words together before, <laughs> and, I, and I've never heard two more beautiful words together. Is it on your home property? Do you just go outside and to your writing cabin? It's literally like, you know, five steps from the house because, we, you know, we're in London. It's not a massive garden or Wimbledon, but... Um, but it was the best present ever from my wife. And uh, because she was saying, why, why aren't you writing? Why aren't you writing? I'm like, well, you know, there's people around. There's a doorbell goes. And so suddenly these guys arrived in, in, in our backyard with all this, these planks. And I'm like, this is not going to go well. But it's insulated. It's, it's got a little heater. It's got light. It's just beautiful. I love it. And it's very much a place where people know they can't come out unless there's a raging emergency. So it's great. <sighs> I spent recently a lot of time, just last week, I was looking at sheds and costs and how to get them and who brings them to your house and builds them here and what can you build, you know, buy and build yourself. And someday it's going to happen. It really is. <laughs> it's, 
So worth the investment, let me tell you. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. So what I'm really curious about, I mean, they're, they're two such different careers, the writing and the directing. Um, yeah. How does directing inform your writing, do you think? That's a really good question. Um, I think directing has made me more aware of the anatomy of a scene, you know, what it takes to actually communicate the core emotion or the core plot of a scene in as, in as few images as possible because you're always under time and budget constraints. Yeah. Um, but as elegantly as possible. And I think that that came at a fortuitous time for me because the next novel I've written since directing is the Athena Price Call, which is a departure and it's, it's in a sense a thriller. So, different from what I wrote before, but it benefits from that kind of uh, brevity and that kind of uh, intensity, if you like, So where, where every chapter and every scene has to have a turning point of plot or character. So um, so I think it, it was helpful in that way. It's kind of, kind of taught me to think of story in a very dynamic, immediate way. That makes so much sense because as writers, we do – we are God and we can do so much on the page. And for me, a lot of times – I'm an overwriter generally. I have to yeah. trim when I am in revisions. And that's because I'm kind of wandering my way to the point. But when when you're directing, I can imagine it's all about money. Or a lot of it is about money and saving that money and you just don't have it to spend. Yeah. Yeah. But it's but it's a good discipline in a way because you know I think there's there's a, a possibility when you do any kind of creative work that if you if you're given a completely blank I mean you are given a blank canvas when you write. But you know, you, you, it's got a company, you know, you can't really deliver war and peace when you're doing a YA thriller. Um, <laughs> and you shouldn't try. <laughs> you can, but I haven't tried it. Um, you know, or a four hour movie. So I think those, those kinds of constraints do force you to think creatively within the restrictions that you've got. You know, if somebody says write a poem, you know, you could spend weeks thinking about what that could be. But if they say, well, write a sonnet with a rhyming couplet at the end, you, you got something to work within. So I, I look at yeah. directing like that. It's just, it's just a way to, kind of uh, make the creativity flow uh, within some boundaries. This is um, admittedly a dumb question, but I want to ask it anyway. Uh, what do you prefer, writing or directing? Not a dumb question at all. Um, it's, <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean, it might be like asking you to choose a favorite child. It's not fair. It is a but, little bit. It's yeah. not fair, but and, uh, it seems that it's, it, I always prefer what I'm not doing. <laughs> I can understand that. There are points after you've been directing on a film for a couple of weeks, you're like, okay, if I, I really don't want to stay awake anymore and have to talk to people and explain things, I just want to, you know, kill a character if I want to. Right, right. But then, you know, there are times when I'm alone in my writing cabinet and I'm like, oh, I kind of miss that, that thrill of being on set and working with a team and getting everybody, you know, to collaborate on that vision because, uh, you know, they're all so talented at what they do when you hire a a director of photography and the costume designer or whatever, that it's thrilling and, and the actors to see what they, they're going to bring to it. So that was a, a really elegant non-answer, but basically I love both. <laughs> it seems like you've set up a really beautiful, ideal life for yourself. And I love, I hope that that is true. And and that's gorgeous. I'm touching words along the way. Yes, but, you know, yes. it's been, <laughs> you know, I started out um, a long time ago now. So, you know, I feel like it's been a long process to get there and, there have been times when, you know, we're working in another business or another job while writing and raising two kids. So now our boys are a little older. They're 16 and 20. And and 
the other interesting thing is I've always written books and films about women of color, mm-hmm. often LGBT characters, um, and just the fact of women in general. None of this has been particularly exciting to Hollywood up till very recently. So, so it does feel now there's a bit of a groove, and I'm just enjoying the ride. So. That is so <laughs> lovely. I love that. What is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Um, I think now with the Athena Protocol and with the similar books, I think it's the plotting, honestly, mm. because um, I I am very character driven and I wanted to keep that within these novels, which you know touch what I think I have. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, you're writing a thriller, so there has have to be reversals of plot, there have to be surprise twists, and just getting those rights and making sure that logically it all it all makes sense is probably the part that I. I do spend time on, but it's the part that comes the least easily to me. It's my least favorite part. I'm really resonating with what you're saying because I've always written um, more relationship novels and the thriller that just came out from Penguin is my first thriller. And it was so hard. And now coming up with... Yeah. Oh, (laughs) so hard. So hard. Yeah. I, if yeah, I, and I'm, is. and I'm such a character driven writer and just thinking about any kind of plot twist seems so forced. So I, I like it to yeah. hear that when anybody else says that, what is your biggest joy in writing? Um, the other thing just to go back about yeah. plot is that audiences are so sophisticated now with TV and the version of film is that, that, you know, you feel like people are always a step ahead because they've seen so many interesting plots. And I think so they all not- are. I think they just really are more sophisticated now. You have raising the bar. Um, but what's my favorite? What was sorry? Uh, the, what's your biggest the, joy in writing? Joy in writing. I think it's the character development. Um, and so I tried to use one to fix the other, but by saying that I try to have, I think my favorite scenes in this book are when there there's more than one thing happening, mm-hmm. and where plot twists are character driven, so that. You know, if Jessie makes a mistake on a mission, I don't want it to be because it's convenient that she doesn't get to the end point. I want it to be because she is arrogant and she didn't take the necessary precautions or she didn't want to listen to something that somebody told her so that it fits organically with who she is as a person, um, the fact that things are going wrong or that they're going well. So when I can marry those two is, is when it's completely joyful for me. The sweet spot. Yeah. Can you share a craft tip of any sort with us? Uh, good Lord. <laughs> I think that was it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's dive a little bit deeper into it then. How do you, um, how do you come to character creation? Is it for me, I will admit that um, if I just sat down and wrote every day without any thought, I'd always write the same character over and over again. And I really, and I don't do backstories for my character very much. I mean, I have a small backstory and I don't know what kind of cereal they like and what their favorite color is, but I do spend a lot of time thinking about their wounds and how they've yeah. healed and formed around those wounds and what those wounds bring with them into the new, into this particular book. How do you, how do you do create character creation? I think in a similar way, I'm not, I'm not as concerned with the detail of the breakfast cereal. Uh, first off, unless that's a particular, you know, there's a particular reason they had a traumatic experience with rice crispies when they were growing up or something, that's fair enough. But with um, <laughs> the details that, that uh, and again, this is something I've learned in my writing as I, as I go, because I was, you know, it's very tempting to write perfect characters who are just wonderful and they have integrity and all of these things. 
but I learned to really look early on for my character's flaws. And I think that's the key thing. What, what are the character traits that are going to trip them up? Is it a bad temper? Is it arrogance? Is it uh, the fact that whenever this person talks to them, they just see red? And just to build up those, because when you have those kinds of flaws, you have immediate tension because you know that something's going to go wrong and there's going to be some conflict either between characters or in, in the story itself. So setting up with that conflict and relating it to the character's flaws is, is probably my my biggest tip that I can give people rather than, you know, a car accident happens. It happens because the guy wasn't paying attention or he fell asleep because he stayed up doing something that he shouldn't do. Or he was raging because of this anger or, yeah. I just realized as you were speaking that I never write angry characters and I'm sorry, my kitty just won't stop meowing. Life, life happens. Um, and it would be fun to write an angry, a, a character for whom anger is a problem. Yeah. I think I might give that a shot. Um, what, what thing in your life as a whole affects your writing in a surprising way? Uh, wine. No. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. Good answer. There, it's just, I think a couple of things. One thing it, that I think is more and more surprising than the other is the New York Times, yeah. my favorite newspaper. And, and the reason for that is there's something about, I love reading that and I read it backwards. So I don't actually have to read the news much. It's more, it's more the, the business, the tech, the science, all of that stuff, the, the cultural stuff. Yeah. But the way they, they write stories is often story based. So they will, you know, rather than talk about a famine in Africa, they'll tell you the story of this farmer in this village. Yeah. And I think whatever I'm writing, uh, it tends to, you know, you've got that in your brain. So you're, it's like when you buy a new car and you only see that car on the road. Mm -hmm. It's a, when I'm reading some, an interesting magazine or interesting journal or interesting newspaper, those kinds of things will start to leap out at me. And it's funny the connections that, or the ideas that I've gotten from that. Um, yeah. and the other thing is music is a huge thing for me, but I think it is for a lot of writers. Do you listen to music while you write? And if you do, does it have words? Because <laughs> I cannot do that. No, I don't. Yeah, uh, I, I, I did at one point, and then I realized that when I was actually writing, I, I was tuning it out entirely. So I was thinking, well, why make it harder for myself? <laughs> I'll just switch it off. But yeah. I do listen to it a lot around when I'm writing, when I'm out in the mornings. And I, and I often build a playlist, always build a playlist for whatever I'm writing. And that will not be necessarily the soundtrack to the movie, but it'll just be... Songs that might evoke a certain emotion at a certain moment for a character or a certain feel of a scene, uh, things that will just trigger me. And then often when I'm, when I'm listening to that, if I, even if I'm slightly unsure of what's coming next, I'll find something, a line or a, a, a look, something that I can start with. I'm very similar. I, I build a playlist, um, and I stopped, I, I stopped using them as much when I realized, I think I, I was worried I was using them as a crutch. As a, as a crutch for the emotion in the story. Like I needed the song to make me feel the emotion so I could write it on the page, which wasn't going to be strong enough anyway. I can't lean on a piece of music. Right. So now I'm just all about white noise and thunderstorms or whatever is on my white noise. Um, and, and the ear, the ear pods go on. And yeah. as soon as they're on, it's almost the pressure of the, of the headphone. Uh, cause sometimes I'll be writing and I'll, I'll realize 20 or 30 minutes later that I'd never even turned on the white noise. But I started to write when the, when these, not these ones that I wear on the podcast, but a different kind, they feel a certain way. And that's my writing earpods. <laughs> I think back to the rituals again, isn't it? Yeah. 
Exactly. But thank you for making me deeply insecure about my use of music. Don't <laughs> <laughs> worry about that. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, dear. <laughs> There's yeah. still one Moby song on one of his older albums that can just make me cry because that's when Robin died in one of my books. And, and it's just, that's that's not I, fair. That's <laughs> forever, that's for exactly. sure. <laughs> what is the best book that you've read recently and why did you love it? Oh, that's a tough one. But, you know, I would say it's a novel by um, Elif Shafak, who's a Turkish writer who lives in Britain. And, and she happens to be a friend. But I, I say this absolutely honestly. She's made the book a long list with this with this book called Ooh. 38 Seconds in This Strange World. Can you repeat and, the title? I'm sorry. Sure. It's 10 minutes, 38 seconds in this strange world. Great title. Yeah, it is a great title. And it's, um, it's about uh, a prostitute living in Turkey who has just been killed. And it's literally the, those dying minutes of her brain activity, which sounds awful. But within that, she draws it out to this complete history of uh, Istanbul. Um, and it's very, like Elif herself, I think it's very um, compassionate, very humanistic. You know, it's, 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 she's very big on human rights on advocating for women, for the LGBT community. And all of that comes through in this book, but without being preachy. Um, it's such a sensitive, delightful book and full of rich details of life in, you know, in that world, which is not, I've been there, but it's not a world I'm terribly familiar with. So, you know, it has all that luxury of falling into a completely uh, different universe. Well, that just shot right to the top of my TBR pile, <laughs> along with the Athena protocol. And on that note, so, um, uh, something that I found, I think it was on your website, I found The Athena Protocol is a feminist thriller about an all-female secret agency who works to stop crimes against women and children all over the world. And that just had me instantly. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this book? And what is the actual date it comes out? Because I believe this will come out after the book is out. So it should be out by the time this is live. But what's the date? It comes out on the 8th of October. Okay, great. So and um it's um sorry what was the question <laughs> oh tell us tell us more about it this is been it's just such a fantastic premise thank you well you know i came up with it at, uh, by going to tech conferences and i think i had i sat in the audience and i was listening to all these amazing people you know the bill gates of the world mm-hmm. done amazing things and now they're looking to solve the problems of the world you know so okay they didn't set up private agencies running you know uh, crazy female agents i don't think but uh, never know <laughs> let's hope so <laughs> but it sort of gave me the idea because you know it really bothered me that that you know women and children particularly tend to get left behind um and the poor and refugees and people who are vulnerable to trafficking particularly which is one of the great scourges of our time mm-hmm. i think it's four million a year are trafficked mm-hmm. um and so I thought, how would it be if you had a group of super successful women who decided enough with the charity lunches, we're going to, we're going to deal with this on, on the traffickers terms. Because of course, then it raises all sorts of moral issues. Is, is it right to fight fire with fire? Are they really doing the right thing? So there was that element. Plus I wanted to see women in action where it wasn't, you know, you recover and do your hair and carry on. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're dealing with fighting and killing and, watching this kind of trauma day in day out it takes its toll and these are young women who've been through a lot already in their in their younger years that makes them fit to to fight these guys um and the trauma of what they do for on a day-to-day basis i wanted to bring that out and, and see how it was 
how a group of women would help each other through that while still running this very you know, aggressive uh, agency spy force. That sounds absolutely amazing. And like the thing that I have been waiting to read. So um, I cannot wait till it comes out. Can you tell us, Shamim, where we can find you on the internet? Yes, uh, anywhere where you can find my name, which is probably the trickiest thing. If you can spell that, shamsarif.com, <laughs> you have me. Um, because I'm that, that's my Twitter handle. It's my Instagram. Um, I'm also on Facebook and, um, and I have a website, shamsarif.com. So I'm probably the most active on Twitter and on Instagram. Perfect. It has been such a treat to talk to you. It has been a delight. And um, I'm so glad that we connected. And the next time I get to Toronto, if you happen to be in town, I'll give you a shout because... uh, be great. We'll we'll share a butter tart and some coffee or something. I would like that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Shamim, so much for being on the show and happy writing to you. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.